this episode of Modern Practice, we'll continue our examination of the workforce crisis in healthcare. I'm your host, Dr. Tomas Villanueva, Senior Principal for Operations and Quality at Vizient and Practicing Internist. Joining me again is Eric Birch, RN, Executive Principal at Vizient and Leading Expert in Workforce Issues. Eric, welcome back. Thank you, Tom. So, Jumping right back into it, how should organizations use data collection and analysis to better address workforce shortages? Organizations that are not using data are well behind the curveball. So data collection is so important to really think about, one, the status of your workforce currently, your ability to forecast your workforce needs, and really focus on those key indicators that give you an insight to the health of your workforce in general. So as we think about data and data collection, obviously, each one of these elements have an aspect around, one, the volume of workforce I have, the type of skill sets that my workforce has, and then thinking about it, some of my important HR indicators. What's going on with my turnover? How fast does it take for me to get somebody through the interview to hire process? Really looking at my vacancy rate. So each one of these, and there's a wide variety of indicators that should be tracked and monitored and measured. I think a lot of them can be contributed to process measures because your outcome is that I have a workforce that is competent, well-rounded, and that can be resilient enough to adjust to changes in demand or patient volume or whatever they're there to provide the services for. I think organizations that are not leveraging that data really leave a lot of opportunity on the table as far as building the right strategy to continue to advance the needs of their organization from an employment and workforce standpoint. You know, you brought up resilience, and I've become fascinated with the process of resilience, but wouldn't it also start that your workforce mirror the community it's serving? Absolutely. I think we find that the pandemic did shed a lot of light on disparity of our workforce when it comes to diversity and inclusion. And as we think about that, Vizient actually launched the Vizient Vulnerability Index. And that was really started to look at how patients' vulnerabilities really impact their care and the quality of care they receive. We actually took that in a different direction and leveraged those same principles around looking at it in the lens of how it affects your workforce. So as we think about communities and their ability to recruit, retain, or build a pipeline within their workforce, we really looked at those key indicators of what's going on. If you have a community where there are food deserts, where there's no transportation, where daycare is unobtainable for a lot, those are all factors that really affect your ability to recruit people and even retain them. You may have more callouts because of a lot of these factors. And so I think it's really important to think about all of those as you're building out a good workforce strategy and plan for your organizations. Yeah, absolutely. So when looking at the crisis, where do regulatory issues factor in? I mean, how would you address this issue? So regulatory issues are multifaceted, right? So we know that we think about licenses and license to practice in different states. There's different levels of, like I had mentioned on our previous podcast, around APPs and their scope of practice. As we think about the regulatory impacts, I think there's some things that we need to understand as we move forward within an organizational plan is how can we change the model of care? Can we leverage different providers in different manners? But we also have to keep an eye on what can we do within the confines of the regulatory space? 
I think the other thing that's really getting a lot of press right now is state legislators are really taking an active role in talking about ratios and looking at ways to pass laws that mandate ratios, not only for nursing, but even looking at it for other employees within the healthcare system, such as nurse aides and others. And so as you think about what's driving this need or this thought that we need to regulate ratios, it really comes down to our organizations able to staff effectively that creates a safe environment for the patient and the staff. A lot of organizations, we talk about acuity of staffing. And so as you think about that, it's not just the number of patients you have, but how sick are these patients and how many of those patients should I actually be able to take care of? A lot of questions are out there. And so it's a very controversial issue in the fact that, one, we want the ability to ensure that we're staffing correctly. If you take that completely out of the hands of the leadership in the healthcare environment, then you're stuck with just ratios that may not be based on severity of illness or the actual care needed from that perspective. It's definitely not one-dimensional, and I think that that needs to be kept in mind if our legislators do want to go in that route. But I can't help but think that unions are a factor as well. Before we leave the topic of ratios, I think there's both pros and cons to that, Tom. I think that there are both sides of that debate that we really need to be thinking through, one, why are we even having this conversation? What has led us to the need or the thought that we need to mandate ratios? But can we do it in a way that, one, meets the care needed for the patients, improves the quality of care, but also keeps in mind the workforce and making sure that they are set up to be successful within their roles? And I would say that you just brought up the union and union factors. Just like ratios are in play, we are seeing an increased amount of union activity in the healthcare arena. And this does not just revolve around nurses. We're actually seeing physicians and residents actually starting to be involved in some of the union discussions and activity as well. And so this is something that is affecting the entire healthcare sector as we think about that. I think it really stems again from, one, safe work conditions, burnout, feeling overworked, Lack of staffing, which drives the debate on, hey, we need to mandate ratios or we need to bring in a union to represent us so that we are able to effectively practice safely and really provide the resources needed to deliver the care. That's why we got into our career like we did. It always comes down to the why when it comes to all these events that we're talking about, whether it be regulatory or even union, you always need to kind of realize the why, and that should help you get there. Yeah, I would also say, and I agree with you, the why is so important. And as we think about administrators and leaders in healthcare, I think it's always important to ensure that you are taking the pulse of your organization, communicating with your workforce, truly understanding what's impacting their ability to deliver care, what's driving burnout, why are they even considering leaving the hospital or even the profession in general. And so it always goes back to effective leadership and truly understanding the needs of your workforce. So we've been hearing comments like the pipeline has dried up. And I would say it has challenges versus dried up. How do we improve on that? That's a big question. So if we think about pipeline, whether that be physicians, whether that be nurses, whether it be allied professionals, such as respiratory therapists or radiology techs, we do have a disconnect here. What we're seeing is, let's take nursing, for example. I'm kind of partial to that, right? Being a nurse. 
the pipeline, we already know that we have a shortage. We have people retiring. We have a need. When we look at pipeline, we think about our schools, the ability to produce nurses. And so we've always seen that part of the drive here is that there's a vacancy in faculty positions. Part of that, I think, is driven by low wages that to actually go be a faculty at a school of nursing doesn't command a big salary like you could get in in some other aspects of healthcare. For 2022, I think I just saw a survey that said that we've turned away about 90,000 qualified Bachelor of Nursing students within a year. And so that is really due to one, lack of faculty and lack of clinical space. And so if you think about that, We really need to be looking at the broader implications of it's not just the ability to recruit or retain. It's really kind of thinking about the grassroots effort. How do we attract people to our professions? And then do we have our academic partners set up to really take that influx of potentially new employees and train them and educate them to be our future nurses, physicians, or radiology techs? Couldn't agree more. During my medical training, I was verbally abused. I had a book thrown at me. It's very common to hear comments that nursing or nurses tend to eat their young. And I know we've touched on this, but how important is it to address wellness and resilience? I think it's essential to any healthy work environment. And if you're not happy where you're at or you feel unsafe, that really just impacts your ability to want to deliver good care, to want to come to work in the morning to want to stay with an organization. Again, I think we go back to COVID, but COVID really did shed light on a lot of things. We saw a lot of mental illness as it related to COVID in general. And so that translated to people seeking care for health-related issues. There were a lot of bad behaviors out there. We as clinicians have always faced some unsafe environments. We've always faced challenges but it really seemed to exacerbate during the pandemic. And I think as we think about wellness and resiliency, if we're not taking care of ourselves, how can we take care of others? Is kind of the whole premise of this, right? I have seen organizations actually invest a lot in wellness programs and provide counseling available to their staff and really think through what does my team need, not only from a physical environment, but also from a mental wellness environment. And so I think that's just as important as we build all the other strategies is that we're there to provide these resources for our employees. Yeah. So, Eric, most organizations are trying to address their workforce issues. And as an expert and having a national perspective on this, as you do, how would you suggest they start? I know everybody is already addressing them. If they are just now starting, they're behind the ball, right? So we definitely want to make sure that, one, they truly understand where they're at currently as they think about their workforce, the health of their workforce, their ability to provide a resilient workforce based on whatever comes their way, whether it be another pandemic, God help us, it's not, or an influx in patients from that standpoint. I think some key things they've got to be thinking of as they focus on their strategy We kind of touched on these, but the first one would be, how are you recruiting and retaining your employees? Those are so key, and there's some significant fundamentals around that. As you're thinking about that, there are things that you can do that are short-term, but there's also some long-term strategies that need to be in play. I think when we think about short-term strategies, we want to make sure that the hospital and employees have enough staff to take care of patients. We don't want to work short. And so organizations have used contract labor. We can say that it's a blessing 
or a curse, right? Because contract labor is expensive. It could decrease your margins. However, if you're trying to care for patients, you want to make sure that there's enough people to do that. And so one, just stabilizing the workforce, whether that's through contract labor or regional float pools, whatever strategies you're using, I think that's important. I think some of the longer term strategies that you've got to be thinking of, and this takes a little more time and thought is, how do I enhance that pipeline? And so we talked about that. It's really, can we partner and invest with schools and academia to really ensure that we can provide them clinical locations for people to train or even help them augment their faculty positions with adjunct faculty to expand the number of applicants that they can take? I think the other thing with enhancing the pipeline is looking even further up to get in front of middle school and high school students to really begin getting their interest in a healthcare career. I think that's incredibly important because competition is no longer just the ecosystem of healthcare. It's now you're in competition across multiple industries for talent. And so that's really important. I think the other two pieces kind of go hand in hand, and that's model of care and technology and digital enablement. How can we take a look at how we do things? Work smarter, obviously not harder, can we do things differently? Can we be open to different models of care? Can we leverage technology in different ways that really changes the amount of resources it takes to actually provide great care to patients? So I think those are some things that we've got to think about. And then underlying all of this is really thinking about diversity, equity, and inclusion as part of all of your strategies as you think through moving the needle and really building that resilient workforce. Eric, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a valuable discussion. And to our listeners, you can contact Eric at his email address in the resource section of our podcast page. And if you have any additional questions pertaining to modern practice or simply want to send us your comments, please contact me in our email, modernpracticepodcast at visionink.com. We've also posted a link in our resource section for you. And please join us for other modern practice podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments. And now, I'm Dr. Tomas Villanueva. Thank you so much for listening.